Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson, and joining me this week is my wombkin, CNET's Andy Hoyle. Hello. Hello. What the hell do you mean by wombkin? Well, we were shot from the same gun barrel, you and I, weren't we? Same oh, yeah, well, oh, that's true. Same mother. I see. Yes, um, well, very grateful you're joining us this week. We're recording many hours earlier on a Sunday than normal, and uh, Ian has, you know, children and a life to take care of, whereas... I have neither of those things. Precisely, so I thought, well, let's let's talk today about mobile photography and, and how smartphones and traditional cameras, even SLRs and interchangeable lens type cameras are merging ever closer this year so we're going to come to that in the second half of the show but first let's take our miniature comb and brush through this week's beard of uk tech news first lurking in the beard hairs is that the bbc iplayer loophole is to be closed now this is according to the culture secretary john whittingdale who has vowed according to a bbc story to end the iplayer loophole soon so that those watching catch-up TV do not get a free ride. So that's what the loophole is, is it? It's, it's the fact that the, 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 the licence fee currently doesn't apply to um, just watching catch-up on your phone or tablet or something. Correctamundo. Um, okay. The way that it works is that the, the, the licence fee, which was, let's be honest and in fact accurate, conceived before catch-up or even the internet existed... Yes. Um, it covers anything that is being broadcast. It also covers things like the BBC website and radio and and that side of things. But it doesn't currently cover things that are watched after they've been broadcast, which obviously is the majority of the iPlayer. It even doesn't cover things that are even slightly time-shifted. So if you go on the iPlayer and you watch, um, I don't know, Great British Bake Off and it's half an hour in and you press start from the beginning, at the moment, because that's not technically live... It, you don't need a license fee for that. And a lot of people don't pay a BBC license fee because they don't own a television and they only watch things on iPlayer. Well, that loophole is going to be closed. And Whittingdale had said that um, that it was, it was basically going to happen as soon as the legislation was uh, practicable, um, which could be hopefully maybe later this year or, or next year. And the BBC obviously is happy that there's an agreement reached. There's a quote so- here. Go ahead. I was going to say, you just used the word hopefully there, Nate. So I'm yes. assuming you're, you're in favour of this? Yes, I'm entirely in favour of this. Because the BBC is a unique gem in the, in the British crown, if you like. You know, it is a completely ad-free way of watching television. I mean, you know, this is. is alien to, to, to most people outside of the UK that, doesn't, that, that don't have a state broadcaster. And I use the term state broadcaster with a slight nervousness because whenever i hear things like state broadcaster i think of north korean tv and they are they're quite different i'll be honest bbc and north korean television quite different um but the the main focus is that you know we get a you know 
and, and let's get aside from the political argument about where the quality resides within the BBC. Generally speaking, and as objective as I possibly can be, you get a high quality range of, of broadcasts that cover a wide range of needs and a pretty tech-savvy approach to on-demand. You know, the, the iPlayer existed years before most people were using things like Netflix, and it was supported back in the day on things like Nokia N95s, and you could you could download it onto mobile, you know, onto, what would they call SanDisk, um, MP3 players and uh, Creative Zens and everything, and all the way forward now we're, you know, HD download, no ads, you know, you don't even have to log in, and that's an issue. But, so yes, I am broadly in, in favour of this, and I think that the, the, the licence fee is is a good thing to be paying. But, yeah. and there's a large but here, um, there is... Currently, a big issue going through the European Parliament, uh, the European courts for consideration, which is whether anybody who is paying a subscription to a service should be able to use that service in any European country that they're in. So this yeah. a, lo- a lot of this came out after Netflix said that it was going to start banning people using VPNs, which would affect somebody in the UK, which currently at least is in the EU, um, from going to another European country and using a VPN to be able to access the uh, Netflix catalogue that they had back at home. The EU wants to make sure, the EC rather, wants to make sure that that is something that remains uh, a thing that can happen. There's a reminder then that when you go, so when I went to France or I go to Spain, although I'm a UK citizen, I still can't access BBC iPlayer outside of the UK. Yeah, that's right. And but using a VPN, you could. Now, the reason that this I, I raised this because obviously this that side of things is more relevant to something like Netflix, where there's a subscription that's based in a country. The BBC iPlayer would not currently be counted under that um, potential law that you know if if the EC goes ahead with it, because the BBC doesn't technically have a subscription for the iPlayer, so it would be exempt. So you wouldn't, you know, not that the BBC probably would crack down on vpns necessarily it certainly hasn't seemed to want to thus far but if it did the any potential law at the moment that the ec brought in wouldn't cover the bbc because it doesn't have a subscription attached to it so it would be exempt from those um uh, enforcements that the ec would put in place mm-hmm. if if you start having to apl- apply a license fee in order to use the iplayer then it stands to reason you'd probably need to have an account to use the iPlayer so you could connect a person with a license fee. And if so, that would make VPN usage much more attractive to to people, um, potentially, because they wouldn't be able to access it outside of the UK and they have to log in and you know confirm who they are and everything and make them a bit more angry. And then the EC law probably would apply to the iPlayer in future. So it's an interesting thing to be keeping our eye on because it has more than just the effect of you might have to log in like this this yeah. brings the iplayer directly in line with the likes of amazon uh, instant streaming prime next day video whatever the hell it's called yeah. these days and so that and would Netflix. be that's that would be what we're looking at isn't it rather than sort of paying right now you pay a license fee and you have to go i'm not even sure how to pay your license fee because i don't have broadcast tv but you would it, it, bbc iplayer would effectively become the same as netflix you'd have to log in and you'd have a monthly subscription um, and that's how you then watch iPlayer. Yeah, I mean, you pay your license fee an- annually, generally. It's about £150 you, you a do, year. You do, but that's the thing. I mean, the, the license fee presumably will have to change because of the technology that's changed. The license fee, 
uh, is an annual thing, and it also covers you know all the network broadcast costs, and, it, and it's a fixed it's a fixed rate regardless of of what you use, whether it's broadcast, whether it's online. It's just one fee, um, with the exception being if you have a black and white TV, which I believe you pay less. Yeah, who half has price. A, who, yeah, who has a black and white TV these days? Old people. Um, well, maybe some who people still do. Who also don't ironically have to pay the license fee. So, well, I imagine most people what, listening to your podcast are not going to uh, have a uh, black and white TV. Um, uh, but so I, I would imagine that they would be that the license fee uh, would be, and I would argue should be uh, different if you are only wanting to subscribe to the online um, catch-up services. Um, so m- maybe we start to see a shift in in their sort of pricing structures. Yeah, I think that's true. And and to be honest, there's a bigger conversation to be had here about the BBC charter renewal um, that that's going on right now because th- what the license fee is whether it should even exist at all and what it covers and and how much it covers and how it's divvied out to the different parts of the BBC that is currently going through a massive debate as we yeah. speak you know charter renewal is a huge thing so if you are interested in how this is potentially being debated by the BBC trust and 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 trustees um, do you know Google BBC iPlayer Charter Renewal, and you'll find a whole bunch of interesting articles that, frankly, we haven't got time to go into here. But do let us know podcast at natelangson.com if you'd be interested in us talking about that because it is an interesting issue, but it's also a very political one. Um, but it's also probably something that Ian next week or in future weeks will be very happy delving into um so we don't yes, have i'm sure ian will have some strong opinions mm. well let us know uh if you would podcast at natelangson.com we will come back to this in future when we know when this loophole is to be closed still to come of course we're going to be talking about mobile phone photography and how that is changing the focus if you like of photography in the public's eye Um, But we've got one more story here, and that is that Barnes & Noble, this is the US bookseller that uh, is behind the ebook brand Nook, has announced it's going to stop selling digital books in the UK from March, from the 15th of March to be specific. There are currently UK versions of its online bookshop and app on Android, um, and, uh, and they can also be accessed on Nook devices. But from the 15th of March, I'm afraid, people, it's gone. That relationship wow. is dead in the water. All seven of you, um, I'm that's, sure. Yeah, that's going to say that's going to be that's going to be a shift, isn't it, for for those handful of people who don't use uh, Amazon Kindles for their eBooks? Well, this is the thing. I mean, in the UK, certainly it is massively dominated by Amazon, um, and but but the Nook has still been around for about four years in the UK. So it's done something right thus far, and it has said Barnes and Noble well, has, has it. It's pulling out. Well, it can't compete. I mean, companies pull out of markets all the time because they can't compete. I mean, Amazon's just got... you. I mean, anytime you go to Amazon, the homepage, and I'm sure this is true in the US as well and other countries, the first thing you see generally is just a giant ad for Kindle. That's all I ever see whenever I log in. And any public yep. holiday, right now I think it's Mother's Day, wouldn't Mother Best like... Mother's Day books. Wouldn't she like to read Fifty Shades of Grey? No, she but, bloody wouldn't. Now, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you two things exactly why. Because we share a parent. In fact, we share both of them. Um, our mother gave her a Kindle, didn't want it, sent it back. In fact, I say sent it back. <laughs> I gave it to her. Yeah. <laughs> she gave it back to me. I mean, that's the situation. She's good at presents. Yeah. Uh, she did go and see the Fifty Shades of Grey movie, though. I was very disturbed to hear. I was, oh. um, yeah, I know. Did you ask her about that? It was Moving on. Yeah. So I'm just going to have a quick look here at Amazon. Um uk just to have a look at what I see as soon as I... Yeah, the perfect gift for mum. Two Kindles, in fact. Kindle and the Kindle Paperwhite. 
um, right above, uh, you know, and then Amazon Prime comes around as well. So it's very difficult probably for Nook because no one in the UK goes to a Barnes & Noble website because we don't have Barnes & Noble here. No one knows no. what it is. So they've obviously got the disadvantage on a marketing level and they're going to pull out, but they are apparently going to be teaming up with Sainsbury's, uh, which for people outside of the UK um, is a major supermarket chain here. And they are still at least going to be able to access content that they've paid for from the store. So it's not dying a death quite as dramatically straight away like DRM'd music services did in the sort of 2010, yeah, 2011 you era. You don't just lose your library. No, you don't. And I'm assuming that if you've got content on your physical nook, again, all seven of you, um, you will be able to uh, continue reading those into the future. I mean, mm. what do you reckon, Andy? I mean, this this seems inevitable. You seem to this, think it's this, inevitable yeah, as well. This is not a this is not a, any kind of surprise to me. Uh, if anything, I'm surprised that they're still they're still plugging mm. away at it because there are a few different um, e-readers knocking around, and there are a few different services and sort of those third party stores. But they don't do anything because there's no way they can possibly compete with Amazon because that's just that's the accepted. The Kindle is has become the household name for an e-reader, like a Hoover. Um, it's it's just that's what it is you know do you have a kindle because it's the biggest service it has the better prices because they can compete and fine you know i I don't see anything wrong with that amazon has done very well to build up the kindle to be what it is um and so i'm not surprised that nook with zero brand recognition in the uk which of course it does in the us because it's tied to barnes and noble that's a big deal um you know that's like uh, having the waterstones one here um which waterstones never did but um no, I, it's just, this isn't unsurprising to me, and also, ah, I don't really care. Yeah, I think it's, that's the part of the problem here, is that it's such a small brand in the UK that it's very difficult to get um, particularly pent up with anger. Um, but, uh, but you know, what came out of this, when I was doing a bit of background research about this, is that I didn't realise that Sainsbury's had an entire on-demand entertainment service. It does my, it, e-books, e-book store, it has magazines, it does movies and TV. You can spend stuff using nectar points. So you could spend your nectar points that you earn buying groceries in store on books. And they've got, you know, I'm just looking at the, the homepage right now, and they've got some decent stuff. You know, they've got the new Bond movies on TV. They've got you know, I don't know any of these authors, but I recognize some of them from posters on the tube. So I assume that they're well known. And then uh, they have magazines. They've got Olive Magazine, which I know you subscribe to. I They've do got subscribe to. The Week, Grazia, New Scientist stuff, um, Q. What else have we got down here? You know, a whole bunch. So are they, it, so, uh, when, you, when you buy them though, where, where, where are you buying them to? They have an app. They have an app. And, they, so and like they, they have an Android iOS app, and it'll be like their own personal reader, like their yeah. version of Newsstand. Yeah. Okay. Price wise, though, I mean, is that any better than just buying it from the Apple one? Well, it's just another choice. You can spend your Nectar points on them here. They've got an iOS That's and true. Android uh, phone and tablet app at the moment. And, um, you know, this seems quite nice. If you're collecting a whole bunch of stuff in store, you know, you're, you're buying all your weekly groceries from Sainsbury's and you can then spend your Nectar points on Olive Magazine to read on your iPad. That's a pretty compelling deal. Yeah, and the, yeah. and the, sa- the same for eBooks. Anyway, that's interesting. I think it's great they've, they've teamed up. Uh, you know, that's good that people aren't getting cut off. And it's, uh, you know, it's a shame that we're going to lose at least some minor competition for Amazon in the UK because competition generally breeds better services for everybody. And it would be good to see somebody else challenge amazon um at the moment it it really does seem to be you know between um 
Amazon and, and Amazon if you want an e-reader. I uh, don't and, and really th- believe that Apple up well. until now um, Amazon has been feeling the challenge from Nook. I don't believe that Amazon services are going to change now. It doesn't have the the throat hold of Nook going on. Well, let us know what you think. Will you mourn the loss of Nook? Um, will it leave a Nook or indeed a cranny in your reading life? Let us know, podcast at natelangson.com. And obviously, if you are thinking of switching over to another service, which one will you choose if you are leaving Nook? Because that's going to be an interesting thing to talk about as well. If you chose Nook because you hate Amazon, what else is there for you? Who would you go to? Let us know, podcast at natelangson.com. Well, just before we hop into our photography feature, we're going to have a quick wrap-up of what have been the biggest global tech stories of the week that uh, Tom Merritt, our friend over on Daily Tech News Show, has been talking to his insightful guests about. Tom. Hey, thanks, Nate. Uh, Of course, big story this week, Apple encryption fight. Uh, We had lots of analysis about that, including some speculation about whether the FBI could break into the drive without Apple's help. What are the alternatives there? Also talking a lot about the Windows Universal platform and the idea of unifying software across the Xbox and Windows and uh, some angry people about that, but also some advantages. Uh, That is probably going to continue to be a conversation next week as well. It's all available at dailytechnewsshow.com. Talk to you later. Thanks very much for Tom. We're going to get a weekly wrap from him um, to shed some light on where the most interesting commentary is coming from and on what topics every week on Daily Tech News Show. So thanks very much to Tom. Now, Andy, it's time to focus on photography. This is a really interesting time, I think, for photographers in general because the cameras on mobile phones and smartphones in particular are getting so good that having a, having a standalone compact camera feels almost irrelevant these days. The next one to take the uh, to feel the heat will potentially, and this is where we're going to talk about the SLR market, and and how could that be affected by the rise of partnerships in the smartphone world with camera makers? We're going to talk about that as well, and uh, and and also where we see already companies teaming up to innovate in products that we're going to see this year. So. Andy, I mean, you are a photography expert. You're a professional photographer as well. You write and review a lot about cameras, phones, and 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 things over at CNET. So all true, all true. I mean, what, where are we right now? I mean, as a as a photographer and also a pho- photography enthusiast, how do you view the smartphone market right now? Is it about to tackle the SLR world? No, it's not about to tackle the SLR world. Um, what? I mean, clearly what we've seen in the past couple of years is smartphone cameras, the, the quality that they're able to deliver is, is just vastly, vastly improved. So certainly what, what we've seen is a, is a big shift in the compact camera market, um, sort of more basic budget compact cameras. Their sales have slowed a lot. Um, we're seeing much less of a focus on, oh, it's got a, you know, a standard, standard sensor and you can take some decent holiday snaps because your phones, um, certainly the higher end phones, your, your Samsung Galaxies and the iPhones um, are are surpassing um, these cameras. And then certainly when you build in the smart feats of your phone, instant sharing, instant editing, straight onto Instagram, whereas typically you'd go on holiday, take some snaps, then you'd have to come home, edit your pics and put them online. Um, 
that has all changed but we have seen a rise in in uh really sort of the 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 premium compact uh cameras like uh the sony rx1 uh, these 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 cameras that pack these massive sensors these extremely good quality optics um well uh, let, know, let's let's take a pause there let's let's break this down just very very briefly right. can you describe the difference between the smaller sensors that we typically see in in smartphones and as you say these bigger sensors you know what we call full frame sensors okay. in some of these what what's the difference and how does that matter so the the sensors you get inside a smartphone are extremely small um they're talking far far smaller even than your little fingernail um and and the set, the size of a sensor is it's what's it's what's important in a phone it's all about how much light it can take in because that's the thing that it gets exposed to the light so the difference between your um your uh your phone um, image sensor and as you said a full frame which you'd find on on professional quality um photography equipment full frame sensors are much much larger they're actually 35 millimeters across and they can take in so much more light so the dynamic range you're getting is vastly improved the uh, the image quality overall is just much much better and there is a certain point that um you do need physically larger uh, sensor sizes to bring in more light now we have seen that in some phones uh, for example uh, panasonic last year released its uh, cm1 and that actually had a one inch um, image sensor which is um, smaller than you find in professional cameras but that you'll still find um, quite a few uh, dslrs with one inch sensor sizes now i know um, you reviewed this phone for cena and i, I looked I at this ahead of time you, you gave it four stars and you said yep. the good that it has a huge image sensor that helps capture stunning photos. It shoots images in RAW format, yep. um, which helps for editing uh, you know, after the fact, as opposed to being fixed as a JPEG. Mm-hmm. Well-built, looks great, has internal specs to rival most top-end phones. Um, so why only four stars? That sounds brilliant if you're after a camera that takes good photos. The focus of that, ca- of that, of that camera, really, they, they built it at 70% camera, 30% phone, and the phone part actually wasn't quite as nice to use. So it wasn't the... The, the bliss experience um, that we found with the iPhone. Um, at the time, raw support was completely just not around. Um, since since then, we've had phones like the LG G4 and the HTC M9 uh, support raw, um, raw file formats, but at the time, nothing did, so none of the editing you could really do on the phone. But there were a few, a few niggles, and I'd like to, in fact, see, um, uh, you know, what over a year on, I'd like to see um, a reissue of that, of that camera to see kind of what they can do now. Um, but the other That's- side of this as well was um, Samsung released the Galaxy camera, which, again, to me at least visually, looked to be about 70% camera, 30% phone. But that was quite different. Did That, that wasn't as much focus on the quality of the image, if yeah. I remember rightly. So really, with the we had one called the Galaxy K Zoom, and they packed in something like a 10 times optical zoom, where... Um, so the difference of an optical zoom is that the lens actually moves out, you know, in those compact cameras where you see the lens moving out of the camera, this large lens, that's, it optically zooms, it's much better quality than than digital zoom. But of course, you need this big, chunky device in order to achieve that. Uh, but the actual, yeah, the actual image quality overall wasn't really that good. And in fact, wasn't as good as um, at the time the Galaxy S5. So you got generally nice looking images that's still out of your phone than out of this thing that was designed to be a camera. Um, but we are starting to see quite a lot more change. Uh, the Galaxy S7, um, it has a lower resolution, but the image sensor is the same size as the as it was on the Galaxy S6. But what it's using is larger pixels, which can take in more light. So it's really all about bringing in that dynamic range by letting more light onto the sensor. Um, but yeah. which is which is good to see. But we are we are going to hit a hit a wall in just in terms of 
sensor size and so what i what i would like to see is more of a focus on on actually having larger camera units within these phones to achieve much higher levels of image quality but that's going to be really difficult when right now the focus on most phones seems to be you know make the screens as large as possible but make the phones as thin as possible and as light as possible so at some point there has to be a trade-off and this seems to be what's always been the case with compact versus slr is that when people buy an slr camera a big you know a large thing like a, a canon um 5d or 6d or something like that or in uh, one of the big nikons you know people buy them knowing they're bigger bulkier but you have the bigger sensor the flexibility of changeable lenses and add-ons like flashes or even microphones if you're using them for video and people don't mind that but you know how long until i mean could we see a time for example because you talk about you know um they they need to let in a lot of light i mean why could we not have an attachment on the back of a phone that allows for miniature versions of detachable lenses we've already seen the odd accessory come out that adds things like fisheye support or something and the the quality is never really that good but if you i mean could you imagine a world in a world a world where let's say the next iphone or or, or the future samsung comes out where there's like a tiny little thread and you can actually unscrew the sensor and plug in a bigger um if not image sensor certainly a lens that that is designed by the likes of you know Leica or or even Canon or um some of the other lens makers oh, the names are escaping me right now absolutely but that, that, that that's that's kind of one of the um one of the things we've been hoping for with the modular phone concept things like Google's Project Ara um where you can sort of swap the units in and out as you want so you know if you if you don't really care about having a camera at all you don't need to have that unit on there or it's upgradable over time but I absolutely see opportunities there where, because, I mean, even I, who I would love to always carry a really high-quality camera with me all the time, I wouldn't always want a big, bulky phone with this big sensor and big lens, because sometimes you just don't need it. You don't need to take good photos. You can just have your standard slim phone in your pocket. But I would like to be able to have, um, as you say, a unit that I could simply clip off the camera sensor um, that would be in there as standard and slot into place a full frame sensor with a with with options for screwing in better lenses and so i can always have that option of 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 just using my phone to take extremely good quality images and i think that is something that we can that we could definitely start to see i mean certainly not in the next in the next couple of years but down the line i, I would really like to see that how why do people still buy compact cameras then well a lot of the time because they they can still get better quality images than than their phones can this is certain certainly the case with uh the uh, more premium compact sony's rx100 um you can pick up from about 400 pounds that thing really can take excellent images it's got built-in zoom some of them have waterproofing um and also if you buy just a, if you want just a cheap camera say you're going to a festival um or you're going out on a rough and tumble holiday you're maybe going cycling and you don't want to be getting your phone out but you can have a cheaper camera maybe on a lanyard that if it does get broken, a shame, but you've only broken a £100 camera instead of a £600 smartphone. There was still a market in terms of um, almost disposability there. Um, and But certainly I'm seeing just a lot more people are buying, there are a lot more, there's a lot more option in, in, in entry-level DSLRs. It's not just the case that when you step up to a DSLR, you're paying a minimum of £1,000 plus lenses. Um, you're, you can now get very good quality entry-level DSLRs from about £300. So we're in a world right now in 2016 where 
the budget compact camera exists as the modern disposable film camera. Disposable in the sense that it's less stressful to lose or damage one than your 500 pound iphone uh or your big heavy 2000 pound slr that's part of it and then the next step up is these ultra not ultra compacts but these sort of compacts on steroids like the rx1 or rx100 where you're getting the features of an slr which we've had for a while in these sort of bridge cameras or even things like the sony what's the sony one that i bought i bought one um, the a, Nex series, the NEX like series, the, the compact system cameras. Yeah, and I bought I bought one of those, but I I gave that away. Kate, my girlfriend, uses that all the time now because the phone in her camera is, isn't very good. But I, I just use the iPhone camera, and I never thought I would I would I would do that. But the convenience and the quality is so good, so that th- even that type of camera for me is no longer that interesting but i don't want to carry my 60d around all the time because it's it's too big and i use it for very specific things so i'm now looking at something like an rx1 and thinking you know i'm going there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff in you know in my life happening this year and i'm thinking i want to make sure that i'm capturing a lot of this in you know really good detail really high quality because they're going to be photos i really care about so it's worth me investing in something and so i'm thinking about about buying one of these cameras i mean they're very expensive but you know is that the state we're in is like you know is is are the prices for those sorts of devices going to come down over the years do you think over the next they almost certainly will because right now sony is pretty much the only one who's doing the premium compact um at that sort of level really it's just the rx1 is the only um uh, ex- extremely high quality compact camera with a 35mm lens. Leica has one as well. I was going to say they, Leica has one because I was looking yeah. at but it's more expensive. It is more expensive. They're both about two and a half grand to three grand. Um, you know, these are not cheap cameras, but they do far, far surpass anything you can get with a phone. Even in fact, most DSLRs, the, the image quality really is um, absolutely stunning. Um, but then Sony also is uh, doing extremely well with the A7, another um it's it's an interchangeable lens, but it's very compact. But it has this uh, full frame um, image sensor, and it's it's really very very different from what we've come to expect from standard uh, DSLRs. Um, but I, I do I, I do I don't see mobile phones replacing DSLRs anytime soon. Because yes, they could certainly replace compact cameras in terms of it. That's the, the best camera is the one that you always have with you, and that's your phone. And when you can get these amazing photos, these amazing travel shots on your phone, that is more than sufficient for the vast, vast majority of people. But there are many occasions when you do want something that's a bit more. You do need that larger sensor to get the proper dynamic range. You know, these these amazing sunsets that you can capture in, in a very different way with a better quality camera. These low-light shots, of course. Phones still struggle in low light because they're small image sensors they don't capture enough light so low light situations they're fuzzy they're grainy you have to use a flash which washes people out um so well, you say that i have to interrupt you because because it's coming on a long way i mean the sensor technology itself is what is one thing but this the sensors are are you know they're they're letting in more light with their pixels they're not going just after pixel count now they're going for bigger but fewer pixels yeah, absolutely. the software the image processing is a huge aspect of this and 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 it makes a big difference on a lot of these cameras and the flashes are as well i think getting better they're getting they're able to adapt better to the environment yeah, that they're the, being used in we've got the duotone flashes and stuff and they, don't get me wrong they're getting a lot better but they're still nothing in compared to what you'd get out of dslr 
Um, I mean, I do I do things like wedding photos, and, and a lot of that happens in low light, and there is absolutely no way in hell I would ever consider taking any photos on a phone. Um, you know, I use a DSLR full frame with at least one flash gun, if not several. Um, you know, that's because they just do not have that professional level. It's true, and it also it's 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 interesting because if you go into a professional environment and you and and people see you taking photos on a phone, people don't give you any respect at all. They well, think, oh, you, you're you're you're, you're just a you know not to disparage bedroom bloggers, but you know they'll put you in a category that is not you're from the AP or from a, a, you know Getty Images or, or someone that's taking photos professionally because they don't see you with the right sort of lenses. So that's like a different world entirely. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to touch on just a couple of other points that you raised um, before we started recording. Two things that are happening in the photography world. One, HTC, there was an interview that uh, you guys did on CNET from Mobile World Congress where they talked about finding their next phone camera, quote, very, very compelling. So what, yeah. the, what the dealio? What's that about? Well, that was, that's um, uh, interesting because HTC, they're expecting uh, to launch their M10, their next flagship smartphone, very soon, um, in fact. And HTC's phones haven't really impressed of late um they have a focus on the camera but they've used they've, they've tried to do things a bit differently so before now they've used the um what they call their ultra pixel camera which is similar to what we we're talking about with with what samsung's doing in that it only had uh technically four megapixels um which is you'd say that's very very low resolution but those pixels were all physically much larger so it was all about letting in uh much more light to better quality images overall the problem is is that that didn't work that was all theory the the quality of images you got from these phones were never very good they never came close to what you can get on the galaxy the or the iphone um and so and they know that and they know that that's an area where they've been where they've really let themselves down and where people have been disappointed um with their phones so it's interesting to to hear them accept that and to and to say that that's something they're going to change so i mean i'm I'm very curious to see what it is that they do with their camera over and above what they've already done um, to make it, as I say, compelling. Yeah, I mean, I, I call BS and all of this stuff unless they tell me anything interesting. That you know, it could. They're always HTC's always talking, as as do all companies really, about how the next thing that they haven't announced yet is going to be brilliant. Um, you know, I generally am unimpressed until until proven otherwise. So I'm not that excited about this yet. However. Over at Camp Huawei, the Chinese company, um, the uh, the company's partnering with Leica to, yeah. to to do a phone camera partnership. Now, Leica, as as you mentioned, previously partnered with uh, Sam, uh, Panasonic to do the CM1 that, that you reviewed um, that we we talked about just it, now. It, well, it used a Leica um, a, a low end Leica glass for its lens. It wasn't so much a partnership, but yeah. Okay. I mean, we we don't again. We don't know that much here about what it's going to entail, but they they've in, in, at least uh, issued a joint statement saying that they're going to work together to to create um, new products and and have a, a long term commitment to to make great stuff. I mean, this this makes me very excited because Huawei's doing interesting stuff, and Leica is a is is a brand that is known very much as being a quality manufacturer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Leica is is the the elite of the photography world, really. You know, if you're carrying around a Leica camera with that with that famous Leica red dot on the front, then yeah, then then you're carrying some good stuff. So this is very interesting to see 
Well, it's very interesting, I think, for, for Leica, a company known for such high-end products, to be partnering with Huawei, who, bless them, are not known for the quality of their product. They do some decent stuff, but they never, they're never lauded for this is, this is ultra-premium stuff. Huawei are typically, they're good but cheap. So even their, their, their highest-end uh, phone launches with maybe a price tag of £350 and it does some things well but so surely this must be this this must be the most exciting thing ever then because they're taking something that's good but cheap paired with someone that is quality but expensive bring that together that to me sounds like a, a match made in heaven that sounds it, great but potentially yeah i, I mean i i, I do I, I, some, I feel that maybe huawei's got the better deal out of this partnering with someone so good i'm not quite sure what like i think they're up to um, well the but- thing is though huawei's making big moves into selling outside of china now and panasonic really has never really sold any phones outside of its home territories you know other than the odd phone in europe yeah. many many years ago but but huawei is, is different and huawei yeah. is really targeting the the global market now and it, and it is going after the premium market as well so i am excited for this i'm excited to see what they could do even whether it's just improving the quality of the optics which is such a big part of the the overall quality of an image um you know when you buy a dslr it's really not just about the body of the camera it's about the quality of the lens you put in front of it so even if leica can help boost your images with really good quality lenses on a phone camera but whether it's also working on the the sensor and whether it can help deliver better um processing in that i, I am excited to to see a big focus on on camera performance from from huawei's next phone um, we're not entirely sure when that might be we wonder if it might be around april um as that was i think when they launched the p8 last year but um yeah i'm 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 excited i'm really looking forward to seeing what what comes of this partnership brilliant like a bloody lover we'll keep our eye on that um and and other potential plays on words um as well as the products itself of course um let us know what you're excited about in the photography camera world podcast at natelangson.com I think it's been a really interesting discussion and I, I really need to think long and hard, long, very long and very hard about um, where I put my money in photography next because I think this is a really interesting time to be buying a camera product but at the same time it's also a great time to not buy anything because so many good things appear to be just around the corner mm. and that's very exciting for, for everybody particularly in a world where the iPhone is literally the most popular camera in the world. So, interesting things to come. Andrew Hoyle, Andrew of Hoyle, Lord Hoyle of Andrew. That's thank me. You for, thank you for joining us. Um, and obviously check out Andy's stuff on CNET. I think you've just done something about the Aston Martin DB11. Yes, I went and took a, a close-up look at that thing. Um, it was a very, very nice car. I've got a few uh, a few exciting things coming up, uh, none of which I'm allowed to tell you about right now. But do, yes, keep your eye on CNET.com or... Uh, my Twitter, which is probably even easier. Yes, um, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, um, everyone, thank you very much for listening and obviously for, for keeping those reviews coming on iTunes. You know, there are thousands of you now listening to the show every week and, you know, we're we're sort of over 120 five-star reviews in the iTunes store just in the UK alone, um, let alone the, those of you around the world who've been leaving reviews. Thank you ever so much that please keep it coming it means the world tell a friend tell a colleague help them install a podcast app and tell them how to subscribe to a show not even just text message but any show daily tech news show and text message they make great companion shows the to, to have. uk podcast is a good choice as well 
Absolutely. And I think on that note, I will leave it there. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.